The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. And welcome to Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone, joined this week by Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. Good morning, chaps. Morning, Good Ian. morning. Good morning. morning. Uh, wasn't it nice? We were just saying before we came on, uh, Friday night, we get the game out of the way. We win 3-1 with a tremendous performance, I felt. And it just sets you up nicely for the weekend, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And actually... Sunday wasn't a bad day either, really. Quite a lot to enjoy in terms of Tottenham's result and uh, seeing Manchester United implode in that fashion. Yeah, and if anyone's feeling down, just think of the fact that you're not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this morning, all right? (laughs) That will just generally make you feel better, uh, I imagine. Uh, We will talk about uh, the uh, 3-1 victory for the uh, the boys on Friday night. Uh, Thomas Partey finally scored for Arsenal. We were going to ask uh, before we get into it, who's the player you waited a long time to find the back of the net? I would say that if Amy was here, uh, I know that she would say Johnny Jensen. Um, <laughs> but we'll start with Adrian. Adrian, who have you got? Well, well, no, <laughs> I would definitely go for Johnny Jensen because <laughs> I was there. And, yeah, and, and yeah, I, I have said this before, but I did... I did buy the T-shirt that was on sale the week after he scored um, on on the stalls outside Hyde. We were saying that I was there when Jensen scored, um, so so I had to I had to do that really, and I got him to sign it, and it's somewhere in my loft uh, or my mum and dad's loft at the moment. So yeah, I don't know whether that's got any value at all. I thought it would do, but it probably hasn't. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was. Um, he, he just never looked like scoring, did he, John Jensen? That that was the thing. It was it was. I don't think anyone believed he. Would would ever score and then when what it was came, it a hundred and how many games before he scored 118 or something ridiculous yeah. but but it like wasn't that. like Thomas Partey with Thomas Partey you, you, you've you've always felt he's got the quality to to score an absolute worldie and he's come he, obviously his shooting's been incredibly wayward but he has had some some fabulous efforts that have just missed um, in pre-season and during the during the campaign itself, so pre-season is that what you're talking about? <laughs> he, did, he had a free kick against I think Glasgow Rangers, Thomas Partey, and it, it was phenomenal. And I was like, "Whoa, this guy's going to score ten this year!" And of course, he's not going to. But but no, I was I was pleased for him. But John Jensen, for me, it, I just never thought he was ever going to score. He couldn't even score in training, to be honest. So so well, <laughs> when he did, it was an absolute worldie. And yeah, I was delighted to be there. It was actually my my debut. I was on the bench and uh, come on later in the game. So, yeah, um, yeah never forget that, though. Striving hard for an equaliser. Jensen! Oh, that's what they've been waiting for! And that's what he's been waiting for! At long, long, long last, a goal in Arsenal's colours for the Dane, John Jensen. Fabulous moment. And how many games in do you think that that, that T-shirt seller decided he'll get some T-shirts made up. And then he must have doubted at some point, don't you think? But as it goes 50, 60, 70 games, he thinks, I've wasted a couple of hundred quid here on all these T-shirts. Uh, anyway, that was a yeah, it was a great day. Uh, James, what about you? Yeah, I mean, John Jensen's obviously the, the standout candidate, but I'm going to pick someone who didn't have to wait that long to score, but it was a little bit of an agonising wait all the same, and that's Thierry Henry. Yeah. Um, I considered Dennis Burkamp as well, who had that little <laughs> slow start. But... Well, you have one, I'll have the other. OK, I'll take <laughs> Thierry, just because, you know, he came in to replace Nicholas Anelka 
essentially. And there was a huge degree of expectancy around that. And in those early games, I mean, we talk about John Jensen looking like he wasn't going to score. Thierry's finishing was very wayward in that period. And he looked like a guy who had the athleticism to get into great positions, but not the composure to finish. And then, of course, he went down to the Dell. Amy wrote a great piece for The Athletic, actually, about that day and about that goal. Scored a fantastic goal, spinning from the edge of the box, opened his account. And from then on, he just never stopped scoring, really, for pretty much the entirety of his time at Arsenal. It was kind of incredible how once he did break his duck, he found his confidence and became this devastating finisher. Because in that first half dozen games, you honestly, you, you couldn't necessarily see that he'd have that finishing touch. And of course, he absolutely did and became a legend. He certainly did. And also, uh, Dennis Bergkamp, by the way, who scored on his, I think, seventh game for Arsenal. He played uh, played in the Premier League games under uh, Bruce Rioch. And then um, Southampton came down to Highbury on a lovely day and he scored a belter. Uh, I mean, we sort of knew anyway, watching him, what a genius he was. But... I, I don't know. It just takes the weight off, doesn't it? Really, it just it it, it just means that they're um they're playing with a bit less pressure. Because if it goes to ten, twelve games, I remember talking to Ian Wright about this once. Um, and Adrian, you tell me what you think. With strikers, if they get goals fairly early on, it takes they can miss lots of chances after that. But they've got it in their bones that they can score for that team. Definitely, um, definitely, hundred percent. Um, I think I said to. We had Jeremy Aliadier on the breakdown live not long ago, and I, I was asking him about that, about the need to score early in the season. Uh, d- does it matter or not? And he was like, "Yeah, absolutely, it does." Because yes. you get some in the bag, you know that you know that you're on your way, and and you're less tense when those opportunities come around. With Dennis, he was under pressure. People were beginning to label him a big money flop because he'd come with you know, as a brilliant player, of course, from Inter Milan, but things hadn't quite worked out there. So he was almost rebooting his own career when he when he came here. And there was that feeling early on, it's like, well, maybe he's not going to be the, the stellar guy that, that, that we believed he would be. Those inside the club knew that was absolute cobblers because because in training he was just ridiculously good and, and, and easily the best player. It was just a matter of time before before he got going. And once he did, of course, um, there was no stopping him either, even though I think he, he could have scored more, Dennis, I think, but he was just a, a very unselfish player. He'd rather lay on the perfect assist than stick it in himself sometimes. Well, that was one of the things about Arsene Wenger's team. I've heard uh, Thierry say this and various other players, that if someone else was in a better position to score, it would be expected that you would give it to them to score the goal. And I remember Thierry on rerunning through many times and just rolling it across. They all tried to get Francis Jeffers to get one once, didn't they? Which was very (laughs) slightly patronising, as I remember. But... um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, decent shouts there, I think, uh, for um, players we've waited a long time to find the back of the net. Um, later on, we'll be talking to uh, Art de Roche about the Arsenal youth after he caught up with their head coach. Caught up. It sounds like he's been chasing him there. The, I'm just reading it off the page, but after he chatted to the head coach. Uh, I also should say that a reminder that you can read all things Arsenal on The Athletic. If you've, got, if you've not got yourself a subscription, just let me tempt you with an offer of a third off just because you, listener, are a listener to this podcast, just head to athletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's the athletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. The throw's corner. Another good one. It's party this time. It's in. Thomas. 
Thomas Partey with the touch and it's his first goal for Arsenal. So, it seems a while ago, Arsenal 3, Aston Villa 1 on Friday night. James, I read your piece for The Athletic. 4-4-2, it all seemed to work out quite nicely. Pleasingly retro, wasn't it? (laughs) It was a bit of a throwback in some respects. It did remind me, it was Arsene Wenger's birthday that day and the shape did remind me of the... The shape his teams often played, you know, it was kind of a back four, two sitting midfield players, uh, a couple of wide players with licence to roam, a little bit further ahead, and then a front two with one dropping slightly deeper. You know, Arsenal played that system for many, many years under Arsene Wenger, and uh, I thought that they sort of there were some parallels there, definitely. But the other thing that was a bit of a throwback about it and that I really enjoyed was just the intensity with which Arsenal played. Yes. They pressed from the front, they harried West Ham, they put them under massive pressure. The work rate was fantastic. I thought physically Arsenal really competed uh, in a way that they hadn't done against Crystal Palace. So all in all, it was quite a, the performance was quite a good antidote really to a lot of the concerns and questions that were justifiably floated after Monday night. Arsenal came back in some style here. And, you know, Mikel Arteta pretty much went as far as to say that's a bit of a blueprint for them. I think it it certainly should be. Definitely, uh, maybe in contention with Spurs for their performance of the season. Yeah, there's not a huge amount to choose from, is there, Adrian, (laughs) to be fair? But it was... I mean, I wasn't at the game. You guys are at the game uh, on... uh, on uh, Friday, but it was a different feel in the stadium, so I'm told. It was. Yeah, I think that the fans responded to, to what they saw on the pitch and it was. I think it all started with the team selection. It was bold, wasn't it? It was something different. It was, I'm going to partner Lacazette and Aubameyang and we are going to cause them havoc down the middle and out wide. I mean, to, to, to put Smith Rowe as an orthodox winger, Saka on the other side and basically instruct them to play like wingers you know there was none of this you know occasionally they'd, they'd, they'd pop up inside of course but by and large they stayed in their positions and there was just a lovely balance to the team I, I thought yeah I completely agree the aggression was was spot on from the team Lacazette was the catalyst I think he, he dropped in on Douglas Louise the holding midfielder of, of Villa and the other three took took up positions to man mark their three centre-halves. And when Emmy Martinez had it, they had nowhere to go. And if they no. tried to, then all of those guys and the players behind them squeezed up and, and won it more often than not. It was exactly what we'd called for. And and in central midfield, I think there was a big upturn as well. Quite critical, weren't we, um, this time last week, of the central midfield, a lack of control. Here, Laconga and Partey played like disciplined central midfielders. They were compact. They stayed in the middle, by and large. We didn't see any of this drifting out to left back um, for, from Sambi Lekonga. They, by and large, stayed stayed central and did a great job. I thought I thought Lekonga in particular was really yes. calm, a big, big step up from him. It's as if he was out there to prove that, that those times that he, he's been caught in possession this season, that, that was an anomaly and I'm ready for it. And he was so crisp and sharp with with his thinking in tight situations. Really, really impressed with him on the night. I particularly want to talk about uh, uh, Alexandre Lacazette. James, you did that tweet before the game about how you felt this could be a big night for Lacazette and uh, you were right. And he, he played, he sort of played off the uh, the number nine spot, didn't he? He was almost playing as a number 10. 
Yeah, at times, as Adrian says, he was dropping in on Douglas Louise. But when Arsenal were in possession, and particularly when they got the ball into the final third, especially out wide, he was right up there in the penalty box, you know, giving Arsenal a second option inside the area. Uh, and that was crucial, obviously, in the way they won the penalty. You know, he was right there on the edge of the six-yard box, um, shielding the ball and by himself a foul. But I thought he did have a really excellent game. He came on against Palace, obviously, and had a big impact there. And I think a lot of people were hoping he'd come into the side after that. The question was, what would that mean for Aubameyang? Would it put Aubameyang back out wide? Arteta found a way to include them both centrally in the system. And I think it really helped that he did that. I mean, Arsenal had strong partnerships all the way through the centre of the team. You look at White and Gabriel, who've, I think, really got something going on at centre-back. Adrian mentioned Partey and Lekonga. I agree. I thought they were excellent. Their distances were better. They were in closer proximity. They provided more of a platform for the team. And then Lacazette and Aubameyang, who I think have always shown chemistry, you know, on and off the pitch, to be honest. But a lot of people who've worked with them have, have said, you know, they're, they're better as a pair. They're better as a two. Their sort of respective strengths assuage some of their weaknesses. And I think that's right, really. If Arsenal wanted to play with a lone striker, really you'd be looking for somebody with a combination of both of their qualities. But that striker's not in the club. And I think having both of them definitely brings something. It gives Arsenal a bit more of a rounded threat in attack. So a really good day for Lacazette and credit to him because at the start of this season, it looked like yeah. he was not, not being frozen out. That might be a bit strong, but maybe you know, it's clear. Yeah, it was <laughs> clear his future probably lay elsewhere and that that might impact upon his chances of being selected for Premier League games. I remember a couple of games he didn't even get off the bench. So he's shown a fantastic attitude. You know, sometimes a player in the final year of their contract, they can kind of have one foot out the door already. There's no sign of that from Lacazette. He looks fit. He looks fired up. And uh, I think he looks set to make a, a significant contribution, especially when you consider Aubameyang is going to go away for a few weeks in January to the African yeah. Cup of Nations. He's going to be of paramount importance at that time. I, I mean, Adrian, he does look fit, like I said. The other thing, I was watching Match of the Day and, and Gary Lineker was talking about how he doesn't quite understand why he doesn't play more. Now, people who watch Arsenal regularly, we've seen games where he has just been almost completely ineffective or ineffectual, mm -hmm. whichever one it is. Uh, and And he doesn't always produce that level of intensity or that level of performance, but... As as James said, he really lifted the team on Monday and then uh, on Friday night, he was the catalyst, wasn't he, really? He, he just looks mega hungry, doesn't he, at the moment yeah. to impress. Um, I've, I've always liked Lacazette. Yeah, even in his sort of, you know, off days, I've always thought he's a, he was a trier. They only actually passed to each other four times in this match so that the combination play wasn't really there between them. But James touched on it there. Their combined qualities make up... A, a very special striker. Do you know what I mean? If you put the two into one, because Lacazette is is a is a presser, a grafter that does a lot of his best work kind of just off the front, and and Aubameyang is the kind of front man that wants to pull onto the shoulder of the last man, maybe take up wider wide of centre positions and look to run in behind. So, so they are kind of tailor made to have a partnership, which makes it all the more baffling, really, that we haven't seen it. More often, they're, they're clearly the two best finishers at the club, the two most likely goal getters. Yet it's almost exclusively been one or the other, or Aubameyang's been been shunted to the left. So, so look, I hope personally that this is the start of a of a partnership that becomes regular, and I, and I don't see why not. 
I just thought the balance of the team was great. And I'm, I'm so glad you guys brought up the, the, the word partnerships because that was what it was all about, in, in my view. All across the pitch, the centre-halves, the right winger, the right back, the left winger, the left back, the two centre-forwards, it, it was all connected. And I don't think we could, we've been able to say that too often this season. I mean, talk no. about unexpectedly dynamic down the left. You've got Nuno Tavares, who's barely had a minute of Premier League action, and Emil Smith-Rowe, who we all regard really as a number 10, playing together on the left. And it worked, didn't it? <laughs> it was really, really good. And wow. uh, yeah, and, and, and on that, they made um, 34 passes between them. They kept on giving each other the ball. And uh, as a former winger, that's not that's lovely when you've got a fullback that just wants to keep giving you the ball, and and the, you know, and you'll give it back. You've got someone to pass to it. It doesn't have to make life easier. James, I want to ask you about uh, Nuno Tavares. I mean, every time I've seen him come on, I love the dynamism of the guy. I love how he bombs forward, and he works incredibly hard. I like the way he moves. That sort of rangy style of his is getting a nice relationship with uh, Emil Smith Rowe. Um, I mean, right now. Would you pick him over Kieran Tierney? I don't know if I'd go that far because I'm hoping that Kieran Tierney returns from this little layoff. He's got some bruising, a bit more like the Kieran Tierney we saw last season. Um, but I was really, really pleased with Tavares's display in this game. I have to be honest, I was a little bit anxious going in simply because we've not really seen him at Premier League level. We you certainly were. his first start. We and saw you we on Sky being yeah. quite anxious. A narrow 2-1 win for the Arsenal, I think is what you well, said. Well, yeah, and that was probably me uh, flashing a bit of optimism, to be honest. I, I wasn't convinced at all about Arsenal's prospects going in here against a team who beat them pretty comfortably, comfortably. last year. But yeah. And when I heard Tierney was out, that was a worry for me. But Tavares was excellent. And I do think that that relationship with Smith was key. Arsenal were quite often a left-sided biased team. I was struck by the fact that I think Emil Smith-Rowe made more passes than any other Arsenal player, which for someone on the exterior of the team playing on the flank is really unusual. And it shows you how effective that combination was on that left-hand side. He's a fantastic athlete. You know, sometimes with players it gets a bit simplistic when you know their athletic traits are sort of prioritised and talked about more than any other. But in his case, I really think it is... It is the, the, worth mentioning. I mean, he's six foot plus, it seems to me, incredibly quick. Um, and they couldn't really live with him, Aston Villa. Once he gets going, he generates some serious momentum. He's hard to stop. Obviously, what he needs to add to his game is that subtlety once he arrives in the final third. And we saw some occasions where he did really produce. There was one cross-field pass from the left for Bukayo Saka, who probably should have scored. Emi Martinez great made ball. a great save. There were a couple of other occasions when he got into good positions and was a little bit wild with his crossing or his shooting. But it's really encouraging that he keeps arriving there. And uh, look, it was a bit of a punt for Arsenal to bring him in. Pretty reasonable fee, not a huge reputation. We didn't know loads about him, but young player with potential. And so far, it, it looks like a pretty successful one. So I thought it was fantastic on the day. I don't know about how I'd pick between him and Tierney. Like I say, I think Tierney's still ahead for the time being, but encouraging and he looks like a player with a real future. Quite. Another player with a future, with an enormous future, uh, Adrian, is Emil Smith-Rowe. I mean, mm. do I'm not saying we take him for granted, 
But that goal that he got, it reminded me a little bit of the goal against Spurs, the, the pass inside to Aubameyang and the beautiful flick on. And his, his touch, his first touch, particularly against Tottenham, but the header for this one and then the second touch to take it away from Mings, who was chasing, from, sorry, the defender who was chasing him down. I mean, I'd like to see him at number 10, ultimately, but the guy can play pretty much anywhere, can't he? Yeah, and he can certainly play on the wing. I tell you who, he reminded me a little bit of Robert Perez. As a, as a wide player in this game in terms of as soon as he gets the ball he wants to attack the opposition and he'll often do it so what what I think was the standout feature of his performance in this game was that he tucked in like an orthodox winger would would do in say an Arsene Wenger old school team like a Perez he'd be in that position where he could make an interception and I think he made three or four during the course of the evening Yes. and, and his goal stemmed from one where he, he was tucked in he broke up play I think he gave it to, to to Nuno Tavares, and he was off. As soon as, as soon as he passed the ball, he he was he he was making that really really powerful forward run, and that's what allowed Bamiang, you know, the option to just flick him in one touch. Without that run, the move doesn't doesn't happen. So, but he did that against Tottenham as well, didn't he? Exactly yeah. the same thing. That ball inside, and Bamiang's waiting, and he knows that uh, Emil Smith Rowe is going to come past him, and with his first touch. Takes him away from defenders. He's quick, isn't he? He's much quicker, I think, than, than a lot of us gave him credit for. Really powerful runner. And then, yeah, look, he had no option. <laughs> there was no one in support of him inside the box. He had to take it on himself. Got a bit of luck, but deserved it. Deserved that deflection. Yeah, I made him Arsenal's main man on the night. If you take into consideration his corner for Thomas Partey as well, that was a, that was a pinpoint delivery for, for the goal as well. So, so look, he, he had a really, really good evening. But for me, he was just as impressive out of possession as he was on the ball because, yeah, he's a tiger. And I think you can't have enough players with his attitude in the starting eleven. A, because obviously it helps you win the ball back and Arsenal aren't great at winning the ball back. But B, it's infectious and it rubs off. If if everybody played like Lacazette and Smith-Rowe, it may be, it'd be carnage in terms of, of, of fighting spirit and whatnot. But, but it, it wouldn't have to be um, exciting to watch. Yeah, uh, and and it, Mikel Arteta, he talked about this post match, saying they were the way they were in the dressing room after the Palace game. I think that was when we started to win this game. We were pretty down, all three of us, James, on that performance last week, and and it was a strange moment when Lacazette equalised, and obviously it was fun and joyous and everything, but it was also irritating as well, <laughs> um, and yet. They're now, with that result and then the win on Friday, they're now six unbeaten in the league. Um, they're, uh, all right, I'm going to say this. Are they building something here? Well, I think what they've got that helps them is they seem to have a very solid defensive base. And I think pretty much across those six games, with the exception of Tierney dropping out for Tavares uh, on Friday night, they've been able to keep that in place, especially White and Gabrielle, who... I think probably both deserved a clean sheet, really, Aaron Ramsdale as well, for their performances. But, you know, Ramsey stuck one in the top corner for Villa and, and took that away from them. Yeah, did Partey uh, jump out of that tackle, by the way? I'm just uh, asking a, the question. A little oh, bit. I mean, no, he did. He did. Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. It was half-hearted, wasn't it? It, was, it uh, was a little bit, yeah. And I do wonder if it's one of those where if it's nil-nil or one-nil, is the commitment on the edge of the box a little bit better? I mean, clearly the goalkeeper was pretty enraged about it. But, <laughs> you know, it, well. it, nevertheless, it was a fantastic finish. Not too often someone will pick out the top corner right from the edge of the box in that fashion. But I think that that's a huge thing for Arsenal, that consistency of selection, 
the relationships that those players are building. And it, it really, for this season, has been about can Mikel Arteta help them get it right going forward. And that's why the Villa game is so encouraging because Arsenal scored three goals, but more than that, they created plenty of chances. They really dominated the game. This wasn't a brief 10-minute, 15-minute spell at the start that fizzled out. They sustained pressure on Aston Villa. And that's something I think, even in the Spurs game, I'd say, you know, the work was kind of done and we didn't really sustain it across the 90 minutes. I think in this game, we did that better. Of course, you know, you can't keep the pressure on the pedal down the whole time, but I thought we did that better. Uh, And I think that's going to be really important moving forward. And yeah, I'm fascinated to see what Arteta does from this point. You know, how will he look at this shape and will he take that to Leicester in the next game or will he want to get more of a a conventional midfielder on in Lacazette's position? It's going to be really fascinating to see how much he holds on to from this because I think it was a big night for him. Had Arsenal not won this game, And perhaps even had they won it in slightly unconvincing fashion, I think there'd be a lot more discussion about the manager because after Monday night, you know, a lot of people were justifiably concerned. Now we feel like, well, if this is the destination for where we're going, then maybe we're more prepared to kind of come on the journey. Can can I just add, can I just add, Tony, that this 4-4-2 with that personnel, I like it and I think I could trust it. I really do, especially if you put in Kieran Tierney as, you know, fit again Kieran Tierney, proper defender at left back. And you've got Tommy Asu, a proper defender at right back. In central midfield, if the two guys play like they did the other, the other night with the discipline and, and, and staying close to one another instead of sort of emptying the midfield in the way that we've seen previously. And you've got the two wide men, two very diligent wide men. We talked about Smith Rowe, his work rate, his you know his ability to track back and tuck in. Saka is an all rounder. We know yeah. that he can play full back. Yeah. And you've got Lacazette, who's one of the best defensive centre forwards in the Premier League in the way that he 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 burrows around. You've got a team there that can defend, and you've also got a team that can spring into life and cause team's problems on the break. I'd like to see them work on this relentlessly and perfect it over the coming weeks. In a way, I wonder if the the sort of downturn in form of Erdegaard sort of forced Mikel Arteta to to make this change because on current form, you you kind of had to leave him out for Lacazette. It might be that we've stumbled on on something that that the team can take forward. I I, I really hope to see it on a regular basis. 4-4-2, 4-4-2, Arsene Burnley, how nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, do you think, it's difficult to know, isn't it, James, whether we'll keep this set up. I mean, we have got Leeds tomorrow night, by the way, in the Carabao Cup, but who knows who he's going to bring in. I think some of the uh, fringe players will get a game. But, it, I mean, would you like to see us play 4-4-2 against Leicester or is it really a case of let's see who we're up against and mix and match accordingly? Yeah, I mean, I've not kept a particularly close eye on Leicester this season, but I know that under Brendan Rodgers, they've certainly played a similar system with, you know, one front man dropping slightly off the other. Um, so it's possible it might be a bit of a match-up in that respect. Well, they've gone, the last few games, they've gone with three at the back, actually. They've Have sort they? of changed it. Yeah, and they've gone with um, Ian Acho and Vardy uh, up top. With But Vardy came off at half-time with a slight injury issue and Dakar came on for him at Brentford. So I think they'll go two up front. Sort of a three four one two is how how Leicester have gone of late. But look, that's kind of how Villa went. Exactly, and it worked. And it worked, didn't it? Because, and I will tell you why it worked. When you've got a four four two that plays against the three four one two, 
if you play quickly enough and get the ball wide early enough, you get two V1s because the wing back has the winger and the full back to deal with. And what it means is one of the three midfielders has to run out wide to come and close down the, the full back. And, and Villa didn't do that at all well in the game. And and yeah, that's always the, the big tick if you go four four two against a, a back three. And yeah, the fact that it worked so well in this match, then maybe Mikel will have the, the, the confidence to go again with it. But yeah, I, I, I hope so. Yeah, I hope I so, especially if Leicester it. stick with that back three, because one of yeah. the threads in Arsenal's season so far is that they'd slightly struggled playing against a, yeah. Yeah. a defensive trio. But obviously having that extra attacking player uh, gives you another man to, you know, mark those men, block off lanes, stops them playing out quite so easily. So I, th- I think there's got to be a decent chance that we see it at Leicester next weekend for sure. We shall see. Still to come, we'll be talking with Art de Roche about the youth teamers. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is Handbrake Off. Ian Stone here with James McNicholas and Adrian Clark. Also now joined by Art de Roche. Uh, good morning, Art. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for having me again. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Now, um, you have been going to see a lot of the under-23s. In fact, you were training down at Coney uh, the other day. Um, <laughs> you've been sent a lot of um, a lot of training gear, apparently. So basically, uh, the guys who provide Arsenal's data, so physical data, stat sports, they were coming out with a new kind of product in partnership with Arsenal. So they invited some media down to test out the gear basically so it's like the gps pods that players wear to track all their kind of distance covered max speeds those type of things and luckily i didn't do too badly i actually lasted the session did you feel the pressure did you feel the pressure art really did you it was it was it a little bit oh dear this could be very self-revealing when i find out that all those years sitting around (laughs) eating you know carbohydrate based snacks has not (laughs) helped I was very nervous going into it, <laughs> and then um, we got we got to the end. Uh, so we did like a few drills, maybe half an hour of a training session, and then a five aside afterwards. And then after all that, we did the kind of fifty meter sprint, and I was just like, I've got, to go, I've just got to go for this, because <laughs> because that's when I properly realised that the GPS was there tracking everything. So uh, I just went for it, and luckily, I think. Out of the media that participated, my max speed was second. So I'll take that. <laughs> right. And because, let's be fair, when you see the media, they are amazing physical specimens, aren't they? So, <laughs> you know, getting in the top two with them is really, really quite something for a 23-year-old, isn't it? Um, can I ask, uh, we will talk about the under-23s, but I'm interested in this training thing. I mean, Callum Chambers, I believe, I read the piece you wrote, Callum Chambers said, not bad. I think, which is, uh, you know, you'd one imagine that praise from footballers for physical abilities is not that forthcoming. So uh, that sounds like you did okay. Yeah, uh, so my max speed was 32.91 kilometres per hour. And 
I think I was being compared to Tierney. His was 37.5. So I wasn't too far off, I don't think. So when I when I went to show Callum Chambers the results, there was a bit of, I don't know what to call it, not shock, but just, I don't th- think he expected there um, to be much to look at. Um, can I just say, can I just butt in here? I've got, I have a spreadsheet. I have access to top oh, speeds no. from last season in the Premier League, right? What was yours? Uh, 32.51. Oh, no, 0.91, sorry. Well, I'm pleased to report that you, I can't, I can't believe this, you're quicker than Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. No season. way. <laughs> <laughs> he was injured quite a lot of last season. I, I mean, I'm out. just looking at some of these names. I'm Rick Laporte. No, I mean, Virgil van Dijk didn't play much. Um, you're quicker than uh, Kieran Gibbs was for Villa, Nathan Ake, quicker than Bruno Fernandes, I, I need Edison Cavani. This is ridiculous. <laughs> ah, who are you? This is all really, really impressive. Um, I mean, you spoke with Per Mertesacker because they're talking about... Because like I say we want to talk about the youth team, but they're, they're talking about how you bring the players from the youth team, the under-23s, up into the first team. And it's and the stats are, are a huge part of that, aren't they? Yeah, so when... Obviously, because he's academy manager, I wanted to get his kind of thoughts on that kind of stuff as well. And because you can't really, I guess, replicate the intensity of a Premier League match properly, um, he said they kind of group all the... Uh, Premier League 2, Papa John's Trophy and Premier League Cup games in together. And then also, I guess, that gives them a bit of a gauge for, for where, I guess, those players are at physically. And then you you just have to, I guess, be ready <laughs> to, to throw them into first-team training and see, see what happens. But also what was quite interesting, aside from that aspect of it, was, I guess, just how they train. So chatting to Chambers, he was saying how... Like if you don't play on the weekend, you're probably going to start the week with a tougher few sessions. <laughs> yes. And then I think that's probably that side of it I wasn't expecting. Even though it sounds obvious once he says it, it was quite good to get him to just break that bit down to to us as well. I, I wondered out if they explained at all. Arsenal obviously historically purchased a company. It's become an internal department of Stat DNA. I think it's now called Arsenal Data Analytics. Did they explain about the intersection between stat sports and that division and how they collaborate or not? Uh, Not particularly, no. So um, this was more about how they use the stat sports data, which is like how they basically build training sessions. And Mm -hmm. I'm guessing those two data providers, I guess we'll call them, would be quite interlinked in that. But with stat sports, they were saying how they can basically have a live feed of all the physical data throughout the training session. So if, say, someone hasn't, if a player hasn't reached all their physical targets, they Mm. can maybe top them up after the session, for instance, or they can just, I mean, cater to the needs if, like, if a player's coming back from injury, then they could probably spot the physical trends which are happening. So, for instance, again, with Chambers, uh, one thing we spoke about was when he was coming back from his ACL injury, they were able to figure out that he was putting more force for his right leg than his left leg because his left one was the one he got injured. So he was almost trying to protect it a little bit. So those are sort of the the trends that they're able to spot as well with not just, I guess, the physical data, but also if you, I guess we'll call it weight distribution as well. 
And then also they're able to, after games, see the their stats as well, which is one aspect of it as well. But really interesting to know um, how much stock they put on this physical data when they're evaluating who to keep, who to who to let go when they're when they're you know working with academy players because you know just thinking about my own career and who I played with and played against a lot of the you know best players most talented players the ones that could maybe make a difference with the ball at their feet weren't always anything special in terms of of their athleticism and I know the game's quickened up and, and whatnot you have to be a certain level now but wasn't it the bleep test Adrian wasn't it all about the bleep yeah. test when Arsene Wenger well, was there nah that was just about breaking you the bleep <laughs> test it was just <laughs> it was just about seeing how much how much how far you wanted to push yourself some players just couldn't be bothered you know didn't want to didn't want to go to the extreme others would do it until they dropped and I think it, it, back in the old days that was a judge of character I think more than anything right. it, it wasn't right. but it's, it, was, it's also, it was a test yeah. it's also true to say isn't it that some players do not train as well as others I mean yeah. I'm told that Patrick Vieira wasn't a great trainer but he certainly turned up on match days didn't he Exactly. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I'm all for it. I think. I think it, it obviously guarantees a certain level of application in training. You can't get away with having a lazy day. And I guess from the coach's point of view, that's 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 great. But but yeah, I just don't want too much stock to be put on max speeds and distance covered and this. You know, it's, I just think you can sometimes overanalyze and and maybe start to elevate players that are brilliant physically without them necessarily have, having the right tools in and out of possession in, in terms of their football brains. You know, you can't quantify a football brain, unfortunately, in stats. And yet I, I always feel that, that a football brain is every bit as important as how fast you run. So, so but I'm sure the coaches are well, on top of that. But I just... Yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want it to be over, you know, overused. This kind of data. Did they test your football brain art? Because you've obviously <laughs> got the pace. We know that. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think there was a specific test for that. But when I was talking to um, Murtasaki, he did say that ultimately Arteta's decision is going to be on decision making te- and technical execution. Yeah. And then we got to speaking about Bukayo Saka because. He's almost, I guess, the the exception to the rule where he didn't get an injury in the a, a serious injury in the age groups. Came straight into the first team and he met every physical and mental challenge that was put ahead of him. And his decision making so far has been exceptional, really. Apart from, I guess, um, when he's in front of goal, his finishing can still improve. But aside from that, so far, what we've seen from him has been pretty abnormal, I'd say, from someone who's only just turned 20. It's unbelievable. um, It's unbelievable what he's done in his career. Um, You have been watching, by the way, the the future stars, we hope, are the under-23s. How's the season going so far? Who are the guys that we should look out for? Yeah, it's been quite an interesting season. Obviously, this is the uh, first post-Steve Bold season with the 23s. And uh, they actually started with a 6-1 loss at at West Ham, uh, which has played at the London Stadium. But since then, they've uh, won six games, drawn one and and lost one more. So they're third in the league. And another aspect of it is, I think people who haven't been watching have been quite surprised that they, they go with a different system to the first team. So obviously now the first team play a four at the back. 
Uh, and then I guess you can have different variations further forward. But the the 23s are quite set in a, um, I guess we'll call it a 3-5-2, which is quite fluid in, in the sense that even though there is defensive uh, responsibilities, centre-back Omar Rekic would be just allowed to take the ball forward. And, and when uh, teams attack, they often switch to a four with one of the centre-backs pushing in to midfield to just crowd the area even more. Um, but yeah, I think so far they've been very positive this season. I know, I guess, the name that most people know is Charlie Patino in midfield. But um, alongside him, Salah Ulad Mhand is doing very well too in midfield. So he's an- another player in a similar type of mould in terms of creative midfielder that probably plays a bit deeper but can push forward as well. Then you look further up top, Flo Balogun's been playing and been impressing as everyone would expect him to. Yes. And also uh, Omari Hutchinson's looked quite bright as well this season, even though he hasn't started in the past couple of games. But... Uh, when he has played, he's looked very bright. I'm interested to know about are we produce? Are there any good young defenders coming through the ranks? Because everything, yeah. everybody seems to be coming through as an attacking midfielder or a striker. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I've, just I'm just that, interested to know. Yeah, yeah, the one that sticks out in my mind is Daniel Ballard. He's on loan at Millwall at the minute. Was on loan at uh, Blackpool last year and helped them to promotion. And I think with him in the side, they got the most clean sheets in League One mm. last season. He was good, yeah. Um, yeah. The Millwall fans love him as well so far. And I think he's probably the one where um, if you're looking at a defender, he would be the one I would say is is the one that's probably ready to maybe make the next step up. Obviously, he's in the championship now and he's experiencing that with Millwall. And I think Millwall's probably a loan that suits him very well because he can get into the... I guess the rougher side of defending with them where they have that kind of siege mentality. And I was speaking to someone kind of close to him a few months back when he first joined Millwall. And he said that that kind of mentality had already been almost indoctrinated in into him. <laughs> so I think he's probably the one I'd say is probably most realistic. But then again, Arsenal have like a thousand centre backs, so um, <laughs> so I'm not sure if if he would get go into the Arsenal first team or whether it'd be just uh, yeah, Arsenal make have developed him yeah. Yeah. to to make it elsewhere. But yeah, he's the one that I'd probably say he's a full international as well, really, isn't he? Yeah, with Played Northern Ireland, yeah, quite a few games for them. James, we've got Leeds tomorrow, as I said, in the Carabao Cup. In the past, the Carabao Cup would have been the time when we'd see some of these players, but it's it's slightly different now without Europe. It's one of, we really want to be playing a lot of the first team, don't we? Yeah, I mean certainly there are players in that first team squad. You know, we've been talking about Callum Chambers, for example. He's not had a look in for a little while now. This will be a vital opportunity to get some match fitness into him, give him an opportunity. There are plenty of others. You know, Rob Holding, Bernd Leno, Mohamed Al Neni, uh, Eddie Nketiah. Gabriel Martinelli, who only got on for a minute or so on Friday night. You know, these guys are going to be first in the queue for those places. And maybe, maybe there'll be a spot on the bench for one or two of the 23s. But I think it will be a relatively senior looking team, just in terms of, you know, making sure people get minutes. I mean, otherwise you end up with a squad where 
You know, some people just aren't playing. They feel disconnected from the group. They're going through those grueling sessions on a Monday as well that Art mentioned. Uh, you want to keep them happy too. So I, I expect it will be predominantly players on the, the fringes of the senior squad. Yeah. And Art, you also had a chat with Kevin Betsy, the um, under-23 manager. It's part of the Athletic Celebration of Black History Month. Um I mean, what was he like? What was he like to speak with? I, I imagine he's quite an inspiring guy. Yeah, he was really. It was a really interesting chat. I hope I'm able to to put it together well enough to represent that. But from I guess the discussion, there was not just stuff about Arsenal, but we kind of focused on his whole journey into coaching as well. Obviously, everyone. I think I was quite surprised when he was appointed at, as the 23s head coach simply because I hadn't heard of him. But when we were able to, I guess, he was able to take me through his journey so far, going from coaching as a 14-year-old, coaching while he was a professional player as well, as well as doing a degree in sports journalism too um, at the same time. And then going into the England setup, there were loads of different, I guess, insights he was able to give, which I hopefully... Um, make for a decent kind of piece in giving more, I guess, context around who he is and what he's trying to do with the Arsenal under 23s. Oh, the piece is out on Thursday, so uh, look out for that. Um, let's have a song from each of you. Uh, oh, I'll come to you first. Is it, I don't know, would it be about speed or youth? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm not sure. I'm just going to go for my... I'm going to go for Good Morning by Kanye West because it was a good weekend. So hopefully that can carry on into this week. I, I was kind of on the spot and I couldn't think of what song to choose. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just go for that. That's fine. That's great. Uh, James? Well, I picked a song. Before the Villa game, Arsenal had a light show, um, as they used to do on they sort did. of European nights. I think it was to kind of convince the team that they're of European calibre. And it seemed to work. <laughs> Um, so I went for the weekend blinded by the lights because Aston Villa <laughs> certainly appeared to be on Friday. Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, and Adrian, what about you? I'm going. I'm going to go for uh, <laughs> look. My my standard of music here on on this podcast is absolutely atrocious, and I'd like to continue in that vein this time around by picking a Katy Perry song. Last <laughs> Friday night. came into my head as well, Adrian, <laughs> right. but I wasn't confident enough to pick it. <laughs> Look, I'm almost ashamed to say that I know it, but but that's where we're at. Um, but last Friday night, I think it I think it fits in nicely. <laughs> Didn't she do one called You're Hot and You're Cold as well? Doesn't that work for this team quite nicely? Um, I was thinking about the um, the Haylem boys again, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka. Uh, it, it does feel, this is slightly... Uh, um, tangential but it does feel a little bit like their family and 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 I was thinking about that because I heard uh, Mary J Blige family affair the other day which is a tune and uh, so that's what I'm choosing um thank you to Art uh, thank you to James and thank you to Adrian and thank you to Abby uh, our producer and thank you to the Arsenal boys as well for a lovely performance on Friday night. Let's see a bit more of that tomorrow against Leeds and at the weekend against Leicester. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. Thank you for listening. This has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast for The Athletic. See you.